Hi, HPR fans. This is 3.30, and today I'm going to be playing for you a lecture that was given at the Morrison Reeves Library called The Linux Alternative. The presenter is Bill Kreps. He's the technology director of Northeastern High School, and this was on Tuesday, February 17th, in the Bard Room at Morrison Reeves Library. It's going to boot from the DVD. Then we come up to this, so I can enter... We're going to see a lot of stuff that really doesn't mean anything. Now, while this is happening, a little word about Linux. People who worked in Linux for years and years, and people who worked in Unix before that, they didn't care for any of the fancy stuff you see on Windows. They didn't care for fancy screens. They didn't care for icons or shortcuts. Everything they did, they did from the command line, where you type in your commands. Linux is still like that, but what they have done is they have built what's called a graphical user interface that sits on top of the operating system. The cool thing about Linux is you get your graphical user interface, you get your icons, you get to use your mouse and all that, but if that fails, you can still get into the operating system at the command line and you can work with the system which is neat because sometimes you can lose your display manager. If you can go into the command line, you can usually recover it. Picture from file. 
we have open office which contains or which has the following utilities. We got the word processing package. We also have the spreadsheet package. Uh, open. Looks just like Microsoft Excel. Has, have any any of you used Excel before? Okay, good. Has Excel the version of OpenOffice that comes from Novell? Um, again, OpenOffice is open source. Anybody can anybody can make changes to that program, add a, add enhancements, stuff like that. The one weakness with OpenOffice spreadsheet is it by default doesn't support macros that Excel would use. Novell went in and they added enhancements to OpenOffice Calc so that it would support limited macro capabilities. We also have an office, if you've used um, PowerPoint, Open Office also includes a, um, a PowerPoint type product. And what I'm doing here is going through the wizard to set up a, um, a PowerPoint. Click on next. What is the name of Click on next and create. And if you've worked with PowerPoint, looks very similar. That for the most part works basically the same. Notice here I also have all these applications running at the same time. Just to show you that there's not a whole lot of difference visually between Windows and Linux running this product called OpenOffice. By the way, you may ask, where can I get OpenOffice at? If I jump over to the internet here and go ahead and restart that, <coughs> come up to Google, and you've all seen Google before, OpenOffice, search on that, and go to OpenOffice.org, and this is where you can actually obtain it from. All the software that you'd ever want to use on Linux is available off of the internet. There's no need anymore to, to go to a store and buy a, a package that has the CD, CD or DVD in there. You can simply download that product that you want and install it. Um, another application here. And by the way, if if you have questions and I'm not coming near that, please let me know. And I got one real quick for you that sure. uh, you were just talking about. You said you could go to the internet and get anything. Now I used uh, Linux, Sandros, uh, and uh, Novix, mm -hmm. and uh, with it I had to go through their program of getting to download. I couldn't just go. I tried to go to Google and do the Linux uh, program to download it, and I never had no luck with it. Is is this? version here that you just gave us, is it any different there is for that? Or? That's actually good and that's a semi-complex question, but with Windows, 
any software written for Windows is going to work when you put in the media and install it. And the reason why it will work is because Microsoft has a, a set of rules that people have to follow to make software run on their operating system. In the world of Linux, this is where some of the confusion comes in. You've got Xandros, and you've got SUS Linux Enterprise, or we'll just call it SUS. You've got Ubuntu. You've got Mandrake. Um, there, there are all these different entities that are producing their flavor of Linux. They're all kind of the same, but in some ways they're not the same. So there are some people who are producing their flavor of Linux, and they've tried to make it really simple on people like us by having a repository where if you want a particular application, you go to their site and you install it from their installation source. And they're doing that because they have they've put together the package for that program so that it will install and operate properly on their flavor of Linux. Does that not make sense to anybody? If it doesn't make sense, say something now. Because this is one of the real negatives about Linux, is that it's much more wild and out in the frontier than it is with Microsoft. Microsoft wants to make sure that when you buy a product and install it, it's going to work. No questions asked. With Linux, depending on whose version of Linux you're using, there are many times, many occasions where the program that you want to install has to be custom tailored to work on that version of Linux. There's a reason for that. We're not going to touch that here because <laughs> we're talking about the kernel at this point. And the kernel is really the very heart of what makes the whole operating system work. That's probably why. Now, for SUS Linux Enterprise, or SUS, they, uh, most people can get programs to work on these things just fine, but you actually have to do what you don't do in Windows, and that is go out and find these certain utilities, install them in order to take the program to, in essence, recompile it in a way that it works on your version of Linux. Does that not make sense? Would you go over that, how it does on this, this version of Linux, how you install? Well, here, let me, let me show you something here. Let me close out this stuff, discard that, close that. I tried to get a program installed on this computer before I came in this evening. And it was a program called NewCache. This one right here that I'm showing you. This program here actually is a, it helps you do all of your home finances, your checkbook, your savings account. It helps you manage all that. By the way, did I say this is free? It's open source. Well, when I tried to run that program, I'm at the command line here. 
this program, I can't just install it by clicking on something like Setup. Because all of this stuff which came in the program package doesn't include a particular item whereby this version of Linux can just run the installer and install it. On this program here, I actually have to do this dot slash configure. I run this. Now what it's doing, this is examining everything installed on the operating system, making sure that I can actually create an installer to load this program. And today I got all the way to the end and oh, even though I've installed this slib utility, it can't find it. I can't install that program until I can resolve that problem. <coughs> when, a, when a program is written specifically for a particular version of Linux, you don't have to go through this. It's as easy as going to this, close this. For example, let's open up stuff. Right here, this here's my SLIP program. This RPM package, this version of Linux knows exactly what to do with it. It's as easy as right-clicking on it and going down to Actions and install with YAST. YAST Yet another system tool. It's basically the utility that enables you to install software. That is all I have to do. In a matter of seconds, this is going to examine that little program, and it's going to, it's talking to Novell and a couple other places across the internet. And now it's looking at the media that I have on the computer. It's downloading the yes. Yep. And it's, it's doing stuff that in Windows you never have to do. Now that it's done that, can you go back and install that other program? I tried right that three different times. I tried setting an environment variable that is setting a variable to tell the computer exactly where SLIP is installed. So, of course, I, I went on to Google and I typed in some words to describe my problem. Lo and behold, I found out other people were having the same problem. And there isn't a definite fix for this problem. There's a thing called definite luck. <laughs> so some people have resolved the problem. I'm one of those who didn't resolve the problem. Right? So, and it's all done. Does that, that RPM have to be for your version of Linux? <coughs> no, it, RPM, Red Hat Package Manager. Anything that anything that you download that is in a .RPM package. SUSE knows how to work with it. If you use Red Hat's version of Linux, it knows how to work with it because it stands for Red Hat Package Manager. And this version of Linux knows exactly what to do with something that is packaged like that and installed. So if you could find this program as an RPM, you wouldn't have any trouble with you it. You said it was Debian that you're using? No. Um, they were Debian variants. It was Canopics, and that's the other problem. You would, you would have to find a, a package that was a .deb. .deb. Right. <coughs> .deb. Mm -hmm. Or what's that? It stands for Debian. It would be a Debian package. 
you go to a particular website where they have a product that they make for Linux, oftentimes you'll see they'll have two or three different types of packages. But what I suspect you're going to find out is you're going to have a hard time finding those and that's why you have to go back to Debian to find packages designed to run on their operating system. They should have what is called a repository. A repository is basically a place on their website where they have all these different programs that they have designed to work yeah, properly with their They do, and they have a link that automatically came up for that on the desktop. Mm -hmm. But those other things that I was finding on the web, through Google searches and stuff that was for Linux, right. I was trying to get to work that I never had no luck with, sort of like what you just did on that other one. It was yep. giving me that whole, you know, the line, and I was just really wouldn't know what to do with it. And by the time I got to the end, I just had a a big mess of stuff installed, but nothing actually working. <laughs> it wasn't through their the actual Zandros or uh, Nobis. And the problem with that is that there are these things called dependencies. Now again, to go back to Windows, you don't have any dependency problems because anyone who writes a program to work in Windows has already done all the programming so that it doesn't need anything more. When you install it, everything's there, it's good to go. In Linux, they could actually update the kernel, that is the very heart of the, pro, uh, the operating system. Uh, I think the kernel is what kind of acts as a translator between the actual hardware and the OS. Every once in a while, the Linux company will update their kernel, which will render some things broken, which means you have to turn around then and update some of these libraries and things like that so that they are once again compatible with it. The Debian kernel is going to be different from perhaps the Sys kernel. What you're going to walk away with tonight is the realization that Linux can work, but it's far more complicated and manpower intensive to learn how to use it and to keep it running properly. Now, I wish I could get this I wish I could get this guy here to run so I could show you the installation. I'm not sure why he doesn't want to um, run the installer. I wasn't expecting that. Do you install Linux over a same system you got Windows on? Yes. Okay. Yes, you, you run both and dual boot or whatever? Well, I don't dual boot. Okay. I have actually, I have on my laptop, for example, a program called VMware Server. Mm -hmm. I've loaded VMware Server on my Windows XP desktop. VMware Server allows you to create virtual machines. So I have my Windows. And then I have the virtual server, and on that, I've got a Linux installation. cool thing about that is I can be running Windows here and Linux. You say Zootuba, is that how you say it? The what? Starts with a U, Ubuntu. Oh, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. That's an African I have A guy gave me a copy of that a couple years ago. I bet that's what we get, but I can just do it as a straight install. Yeah. Or I can install it on a computer with Windows and still run my Windows and get in here and play with it. Right. I just, I haven't had that computer. I'm not going to do it on the computer as my family. Best thing to do is download VMware server. 
and you can get a free license for that. Yeah. Get that installed on your no, desktop. Computer, so that what? No, I've got my computer. So <laughs> okay. Well, and then you can go in there and you can actually yeah. just create a virtual machine and install Ubuntu on that virtual well, machine. Or this, whichever one. Uh -huh. you know, yeah. There are four of you here that are working on what continuing med credits. Which, what what specifically would would you like to see when it comes to the Linux? Have you even been curious about it, or is this <coughs> you just grabbing a credit? No, I've got I've got my son in law uses a Red Hat okay. all the time, and I just I'm just curious about right. it. In which case, anytime you went on the net, if you found a program that was interesting, you can download the RPM version. Um, let's jump on the internet here. I'm going to do a search on open source software. You mean open source? No, why can't they agree? <laughs> I'm going to go to this is a great website. It's called SourceForge.net, and find software. And how about? Okay, why not games? You can never have enough games, right? Photoshop skill type person, but 
this. Let's jump back onto the map. Let me find an image. Okay, what we get now is a list of 
manufacturers, printer manufacturers. I have an HP printer here. And then over here, I'm going to look for the model. It's a LaserJet. This is what, LaserJet 6P, I believe. something went right. We have a test page. Hooray! That's how easy it is to install a printer online. They, they have really, oh gosh, yeah, they've really made that all right. So, um, email. Another useful tool. Linux comes with an email client called Evolution.
I presume everyone has an email account with someone. Okay. Comcast, anyone in here? Comcast? <laughs> Cable company goes down in smoke. Uh, Yahoo Mail? Stuff like that. Okay, so Yahoo Mail you probably access via your web browser, right? Okay. Um, does anyone use Outlook? Okay. In the building. In the building. But you have your own mail server in the building, right? Yeah, right. Okay. So you could use a product like Evolution. Uh, it's just one of several. Um, I have an account with Comcast, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually see if I can set up this mail client to pull my mail from the Comcast um, mail server. And what I need to do first, because I don't remember, I'm going to go to Comcast and find out If you have Comcast, for example, you can get your email online with them just by logging in, sign in, maybe well. like if you were in the Internet Explorer, same concept, go into your inbox, stuff like that. Um, all sorts of school-related stuff. So now, uh, ask Comcast. What I want to find out is the name of their mail server.
click on next. I can tell it how often I want it to check and see that I have mail. Click on this. Server type, SMTP. Let me copy this. Come over here, paste that guy in, right there. My username. I'm lazy, I'll have to remember my password. Forward, login. And, oh, it wants to know my time zone. So I'm going to set it. America. Or in the Eastern Time Zone, America, Indianapolis. That's where I am. Forward and apply. Okay, the password there. Fetching mail, it says down here. We'll find out if that's actually going to. Oh, it's working cool. So, an email client is included with this version of Linux. And we just went through the setup real quick and simple on, on how to set up your account. And it's still fetching mail here. It says, let me click on get. Yeah, it's still doing it. Little indicator here. That's how easy it is to set up a mail client in Linux, at least this particular version here. So, um, so I've, I've, hit on, I've hit on the internet, I've hit on email, I've shown applications, the open office program, which is essentially um, a similar clone to Microsoft Office. Uh, we set up a printer. Uh, oh, here's another thing. The handiest device to ever come out since who knows what, the floppy drive? Everyone have a flash drive that they own? Does anyone not have one of these? You don't have one? I don't have a computer at home. You don't? I'm at work all the time. You're at work When I'm all not time. at work, I'm not working. Okay. <laughs> there was the floppy diskette. But then along came flash memory. This is this is just probably the coolest thing that's ever come out. It's this particular one is eight gigabytes of storage. I mean that's that's incredible. You could put a movie on this thing. <laughs> and it is really incredible. What we're trying to do at the schools, um, the big nightmare when you're managing a network, once once we get on networks, we like to start accumulating stuff. And I think that's the human thing. We like to accumulate stuff. Next thing you know, people like the network manager is going crazy because he's getting a warning message on his console saying that there's only two or three gigabytes of disk space left on the server. And you know, if you don't fix that real quick, people are going to get a little excited. So what we're doing is, uh, I think we're actually going to buy every teacher an 8 gigabyte flash drive and say, you've got a week to get all your stuff off. And that's really cool though, because now you can carry around everything that you consider important. And uh, You need more than 8 gigs to oh, yeah. wrong. Well, <laughs> I've got to tell you, back in the days of the 
the 386, for example, I'm talking a long time ago, but just two megabytes of memory was expensive. It used to be, what, around, well, I remember buying a, a megabyte for 74 bucks a megabyte. But this 8 gigabyte drive cost me $11. $11. That's yeah. a gigabyte. That's <laughs> got a four gig for free. Yeah, companies now are handing these things out with their advertising material on it, their marketing li literature. I mean, college is giving away to students coming in. Absolutely. I remember when people got excited because they'd open an account at a bank and they'd give them a toaster or something. <laughs> now, you got this stuff. Well, the question here is, will these work on Linux as well as they do on anything else? And the answer is, um, you got the proper driver. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but really, is it driver? I don't know. Plug it in there. Let's see if we can find it. Oh. There it is. Linux is mature enough now that uh, it will recognize Oh, this is kind of cool. We had an interesting thing happen up at Northeastern Elementary School. You see those shiny floors? They had a water pipe break in one of the heaters. They came in. They said, we kid you not, they had four inches of water in one of the classrooms. And it's hot water. They are having to strip gut two of the classrooms right down to the sheetrock because these rooms literally steamed. But, but anyway, I, I didn't show you, show you this to tell you that, that sad story, but look, I just plugged it in and, and there it is. You know, the cool thing is you can plug a camera in here if you've got a digital camera. You can probably plug it into your Linux box now. You won't need any special software. It'll simply know how to interface with it properly. That's, that's a plus for Linux. Huh. Pretty bad. Okay, close. <laughs> here's, you know, here's another cool thing you probably never thought anything about. If you uh, if you got a digital camera and you suddenly realized you needed to move a file somewhere, you needed to make a copy of a program or something. <laughs> Did you know you can copy it onto your camera and transport it that way? Just like an external drug. That's that's right. Anything that has memory now. It doesn't have to just be pictures. It can be whatever you want to put on there. It just treats it like another drive on your computer. So, well, this is cool. What's this all about? Oh, it's that silver flower that I found on the internet. Um, well, why don't you talk about some of the security issues? Yeah. Um, let me go into this. On, on Sys Linux, we have this thing called YAST. And it's really, it's where you can configure the machine, all sorts of stuff like that. For example, software management is where you would actually go to add and remove programs at. Just do a quick introduction to this. What it's doing right here where you see it saying downloading files, when I installed the software and registered it with Novell, they also, the, the machine was configured to know where to go to Nobel to find 
files necessary for upgrades and um, service packs, things like that. Well, we don't have service packs. Yeah, we have service packs. But um, if I, for example, wanted to, oh, GIMP. Let me search on GIMP, type on search. And what I get here is a list of all the files associated with that program, GIMP being the program that is like a, a Photoshop clone. And it's from here where I can either choose to install them or choose to uninstall them. For example, if I wanted to uninstall that GIMP program, just click here until I see a trash can. And then when I click on accept down here, it will go ahead and uninstall that program for you. It's actually not that simple. I'll cancel this. The cool thing is you can cancel all sorts of stuff. Uh, even on the desktop version of SUSLEX Enterprise, you can create users, just like you can with, uh, with Windows. I don't know why we keep coming back to Windows, but it's what everyone's familiar with. Creating a user is done from here. It's as simple as clicking on Add. We come up with a name. Why don't I use Doris as an example? The Ashbrook. Uh, oops. Control X. Control Space. Her username could be the Ashbrook. Put in Doris. And a password. We'll just go really simple. One, two, three, four, five, six. Confirm. And this is good to show you this. One, two, three, four, five, six. Now I click on Accept. <laughs> no, Lennox says, you've got to be crazy. That is not a secure password. It's too simplistic. Do you really want to use it? I'll say, yeah, I do. Well, you've only used digits for the password, and that's a terribly bad idea. Are you really sure you want to use this? Secure passwords combine numbers, letters, and even symbols like the pound sign or a dollar sign or something like that, a hyphen. When you create a password that is not an actual word, that means that it really it's very difficult to guess what it might be if you're not supposed to know what it is. And you're not going to find it in the dictionary anywhere, so hackers couldn't use a, a, a dictionary-type hacking program to discover that brute force. And you have used uppercase letters, and uh, yeah, you don't like it. We have an account now for Doris Ashbrook, which means Doris could log in on this computer and have her own private desktop, have her own private files and that sort of thing, even though this is just a desktop version. It still provides you with the capability to have multiple users. Interesting thing about Linux is you can go in to the account and you can determine what specific applications or groups of applications that person would have access to. Let's say Doris has some free time every once in a while. We'll make sure that she can actually have access to programs that are games. You can get, you can really hone in on, <coughs> let's say you're a parent and you've got kids at home and you want to control what they do from a computer that has Linux. Linux is a great machine to have for in the case where you might want to control what your kids can do on a computer, because it really lets you get right down into the nitty-gritty of what they can have access to. For example, if you don't want them getting on the Internet, you can set things up so they can't. Um, Linux has a full firewall. Oh, don't, 
click on finish. It's going to write all those settings. Down here we have the firewall. A firewall means you can see out, but people on the internet cannot see in to your computer. It is absolutely crazy. It's insane to run a computer now without having some sort of firewall software running on the computer. Because if your machine doesn't have a firewall, it's very easy for ill-mannered individuals who have nothing better to do with their lives to get into your computer and to install malicious software to gain access to data you may have. Good idea to have the firewall running. The firewall, this one here, can actually it provides a list of all these different things, all these different services that you either permit or don't permit. We don't have enough time to even go anywhere near these things here. <coughs> but you can fully control how secure that computer is. <coughs> oh. About this time, we all took a break and went to the bathroom, so uh, I will give you guys a little music musical interlude. This uh, track is from CyberCod, and I don't know what it's actually called, because I don't think he's actually finished with it, and he's probably going to kick my ass for playing it, but here it is.
the hard drive, probably reading a lot of stuff in the memory. The little progress bar just gives you an idea of Nobel engineers have commented on that more times than I can count. Okay, what language do we want to use? We're going to use English, U.S. English. Click on Next. We have a little uh, agreement here, blah, 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 blah. Click on Yes, Next. It's uh, looking at all the hardware on the computer. And the mode, we're going to do a new installation. Click on Next. It's reading through all the catalogs of software and stuff that is on the DVD. Over here on the left-hand side, you can see it's actually showing you where you are in the installation process. <coughs> right now, it's just doing a system analysis. It wants to know what time zone we're in. We're going to be prompted here. We are in the Eastern Time Zone, U.S. I'm going to leave my clock set to local time. If you choose Universal Time Coordinated, UTC, you're going to have your clock based upon uh, Greenwich Mean Time. And that would just be terribly confusing because right now it's uh, 2 o'clock, 2.42 Universal Coordinated Time. Let's just use local time because now we know that it's 7.42. Oh, by the way, the clock is in 24-hour time format. That's why it says 1942 right down there. Click on Next. It's going to show us everything it's discovered about the system here. Okay. Shrink Windows Partition to... I'm not gonna, this had Windows XP on it. I'm going to click on Partitioning because I want to get rid of that Windows Partition. If you're starting, if you are going to use a computer that had an operating system on it, you probably have to do this. I'm going to go to base the partition set up on this proposal. Let's see what it does here. I want to be able to delete that. Here we go. Um, I'm going to delete all of this stuff, and I'll go backwards.
quite a bit. Uh, I've got the home premium. That I wish now I'd bought the top of the line, the professional or whatever, because there's a lot of stuff missing. Right. That's what they've done with all the different versions. And um, you don't, they don't tell you what's there and what's not until you go through and by trial and error finally decide that the feature is just not built into this version. And that's where a real pain. And that's where Linux works out it. well because Linux, it's all in there. And if it's not in there, you can go get it. <laughs> so we'll just, I think we'll just wait on the Windows 7 to fall. You get on the internet with Linux. You have to worry about spyware saying that you can no. There, there are only 16 viruses written for Linux. Eight of them were by people trying to prove that they could do it, and the other eight have been fixed in the kernel. That was a great question. I, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Um, not a whole, well, here's the other very good thing about Linux. What I'm doing right now, and what I was showing earlier on, I was logged in as the root account, and root is like the administrator account. The only time you want to work as the root user is when you're actually installing stuff or making changes to your setup. But normally you don't want to work all the time as root because root has full access to everything. So what you would do is actually log in as just a regular user that has more limited privileges. And the reason why that's safer is because because Root is the only one that can make changes, if you do happen to pick up something or if you happen to go on a website that tries to exploit what you've got going, if they're not Root, they can't do anything to the system itself. A lot of people don't even run antivirus on Linux because it just is so immune currently. I actually have a friend who's a security professional and he said that antivirus on Linux is actually a waste of time. Yeah, waste of time, waste of resources. And we can see over here the amount of time remaining for the installation. This is why I want to have two screens going so I can actually work between the two of them. Any other questions that I can answer. Yeah, what's the name of that screensaver you got on that thing? It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> You're just kidding me, right? No, I, what you had before was really nice. I, I don't know. Uh, let's take a look here. Screensaver, screensaver. There's the background. Screensaver right there. It's called, oh, it's just the random one. <coughs> When it first came up a while ago, it was on diagonal lines and it was just building up from there. I thought it was drawing a little city or something like that. Really slick. Uh, each, uh, there are several different categories of screensavers built in here, and you can select. Oh, I know. I saw flying things. Where's. They've got one called flying toasters. Where are they? Doing a different section line, galaxy. Oh, here's another interesting thing to know. Um, 
Does anyone like to copy their music from their music CDs onto their computer so they can play it on an MP3 player or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Have you noticed now in Windows Media Player that well, I, I've got a, I had a bunch of songs that I had copied off a friend's CD. For some reason now, when I try to play those with the newest version of Windows Media Player, it plays about seven or eight seconds worth and then it quits because apparently it knows that I'm not the one who's supposed to have those songs. Um, and I don't advocate music theft or virus or anything like that, but Linux has not, most of the people writing music players for Linux have not straddled themselves with this digital copyright stuff. So uh, there tends to be a little more freedom in terms of uh, what you do with music and other things of that sort. OpenGL. I'm looking for one called Flying Toasters. And, uh, there they are. I think this is my favorite screensaver. Flying toasters and toast. Is that like hardware board? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who came up with that idea, but yeah. That was probably a video captured of a, a recent UFO invasion of planet Earth and the government just <laughs> failed to tell us about it. Even the teachers are begging the superintendent to hire some additional technology staff. It just isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. So, do you like it, or would you go back to the old, the other way? If you had equipment. Well, I'm not using Linux up there right now. I have it in my, I have it on servers and stuff like that. But it became unmanageable as a single person. I am currently responsible for 534 computers. I know the exact number. Uh, and the only way I could get the classrooms to continue operating reliably was to switch back to Windows XP. I would not have done that if, if, if at that time Linux had just been a little more mature and if I had some additional uh, tools to keep it locked down so that it didn't change. Uh, I use a program called Deep Freeze to keep all of my Windows machines uh, in a condition where they can't be altered. And you can manage that remotely? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's one of the other keys. When you find yourself in a position where it's just you, yourself, and no one else, you've got to find a way to use technology to enable you to better <coughs> what you're responsible for. Well, at that time, Peronix did not have a version of Deep Freeze for Linux. They do now. But at that point, by the time I got to that point, the teachers and the students both were pretty unhappy with the way things were going. And of course, that just killed me because I, I'm just I'm one of those perfectionists, I guess. 
why I'm going to go home and have nightmares about tonight. Nothing went the way I wanted it to. But I couldn't keep the technology working to where it was not a problem. And so that's why I had to go back to Windows, because I had to have machines that were operating effectively. If you're going to be in a, if you're in a company and are going to, oh, sorry. It, if you're going to be in a, what's that? You were running out of time <laughs> If you're going to be in an environment and you want to deploy Linux, you really need to have one person who really is devoted to that. And I think I'm right on the border of confident enough to maintain Linux in an enterprise environment. And I could probably do it, but I wouldn't be able to do anything else because it would be too timely. That's why I got that. This version, oh, I'm sorry, this version is more of an enterprise version than something you would use at home. Well, you can certainly use it at home, yeah, but you might want to look at Ubuntu. Yeah. And I, it was convenient to be able to bring these in right. and hand them right. out. Right, I'm not knocking it at all. I'm yeah. Um, but you can go online and you can download Ubuntu. Yeah, I, I understand. Like that. Yeah. I didn't know they updated it with what you were talking about. That sounds great. They update it every six months. I'll strip it off. My, I'll take that out of there and put it in that way. It'll be a lot of nice. Well, what I hope you came away with tonight is um, an awareness that Linux certainly can work. And the most important things for most people are, uh, can I get on the internet? Can I do my email? Can I type letters and maybe do spreadsheets, PowerPoint type things? The answer to all that is yes. Um, is there other software out there that uh, I can use? The answer is yes. Um, My printing to source board again, because like you said, that is a great Great site, and it's yeah. that stuff for Windows, not just Linux. Too. Right, yeah. Sourceforge.net. Source Sourceforge. Sourceforge, F-O-R-G. Yeah, let me pull it up on this other machine over here. It's one of the, the best sites out there for having, finding what you want as far as software goes. So.
toolforge.net is focused more on stuff that you would use in an educational environment. So cool being able to work with an antique tonight. Yes, there are tax projector or projector screen. Uh-huh. You have to handle it very carefully or you know Schoolforge.net education software, and they have it broken down by the uh, different categories it fits into. There is some wonderful software out there for schools, and I really wished I could have demonstrated more of that tonight. Um, I could have brought in a Windows machine and shown what we're using up at the uh, schools. 3D modeling program. Here's one called Audacity. It's a full media player. Yeah, I just installed that in our computer web. Uh-huh. Blender. Blender is just a fascinating program. It's a it's a full 3D render. GIMP, that's the one I showed you earlier. That it's a Photoshop clone, more or less. GIMP is really cool. I one of the things I like using GIMP for is, well, here's one that we did. Um, every year at Northeastern High School, the eighth grade does an end-of-year slideshow, and they have used uh, they've used PowerPoint the last several years. Um, last year and this year again, they're now actually using uh, Premiere, Adobe Premiere so that they can combine video with stills and music tracks and all that sort of stuff. Well, they had this one scene where they had this big, huge grizzly bear poster board cut out. <laughs> and we, they took a picture of that grizzly bear cut out, and then we used the GIMP to erase everything except for the grizzly bear and save it with a transparent background and we then took that grizzly bear and laid it on top of a picture of a kid doing a judo kick of some sort, and it looked like he was fighting the grizzly bear. Well, the Photoshop let us edit that one picture and then lay it down on top of another one. There was another one where they took a picture of all the kids who did that slideshow program for the year. They were all in a big group. Well, we took that and we erased the background, and we found a picture of a big, huge Air Force C-5 Galaxy cargo airplane and we laid the picture of that group inside so it looked like they were actually standing inside of this airplane. And there was another one, a picture we had of the Lincoln Monument, and we put the picture there. And we actually ended up having them kind of a Where's Waldo sort of thing. And we had these kids in, all, in front of all sorts of places, the Mount Rushmore. So the GIMP is really cool because it really it lets you play with pictures and stuff like that and get really creative. I did this one of... Um, found a picture of some place in New Hampshire, in the center of a little town, and this guy with a girl on the back of his motorcycle. I found a picture of a cheetah, so I, I edited the picture and made it look like this cheetah was running across the road in front of a motorcycle. I guess that's what I do for fun. So, well, anyhow. Inkscape, vector graphics editor, it's just a wealth of software just at those two websites alone.
I'm sorry? Absolutely. If it's open source software, you're not going to be charged for it. The, the license specifically says that you can't be charged for that. So, well, Doris is not everything that I hoped for, but I hope some of it was relevant. Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by Caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.